1: Hello and welcome to a brand new ArsBlog Arscast, right here on ArsBlog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks for being here, as always. We're heading into another Premier League weekend. Arsenal take on West Ham at the Emirates, our first home game of the season. Not quite the three o'clock kickoff. Is it eight o'clock on a Saturday night? What the fuck is that about? Come on. I only noticed that yesterday. I just kind of assumed it was going to be like a 3 o'clock or, you know, maybe it was the half-five game, but 8 o'clock on a Saturday night? What a weird time to have a game of football. I know that football is on then, but it's like it's Spanish football time, isn't it? That's when, like, all the Premier League is over. You sit down and you turn on and you go, well, what game is on? And it's Real Betis against Hetafe or something like that. But this is a world uh, (laughs) in which... Not everything is the way it used to be, or the way that it was. So I suppose an 8 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday night is just part of the shit show that is the world right now. For some people, uh, depending on where they are in the world, this will be a great kickoff time. It'll be nice in the afternoon. They can just sort of watch the game, then have their Saturday evenings. For some people, it'll be basically the middle of the night. They're going to have to do their, well, do I stay up? Or do I go to bed and get up in the middle of the night or get up really early, depending what time, of, uh, what time zone they happen to be in? But 8 o'clock on a Saturday night seems just an odd time for me. It's like it's Monday night football time, but on a Saturday. So try and make sense of that one. I know it's probably got something to do with the fact that all the games are being televised now or whatever, but still... I'm not really on board with this, and I'd like to take uh, this opportunity on my own platform to register my disapproval in the strongest terms possible, whilst also being aware it will make absolutely fuck-all difference to anybody or anything. So there you go. Just got to get on with it. Eight o'clock Saturday evening, that is Arsenal versus West Ham. Uh, It's been a week. It's been a week in which things have happened at Arsenal, our captain Pierre Emerick Aubameyang has signed a new contract at last. I know people were getting a bit worried about this, but you know, um, from what I was told, it's been sort of done and agreed for quite a while. But it was just putting in place all the all the details. And I suppose until such time as something is officially announced, um, you you worry, don't you, that something might go wrong? But uh, I was never particularly that worried. It was all about when, rather than if, uh, it was going to happen and congratulations to him. Congratulations uh, to Mikel Arteta who wanted to keep him and wants uh, to continue to, I suppose, build a team around him and his goal scoring uh, while recognizing at the same time we've got to do a little bit more in that regard from other areas of the pitch. So that's good news. We'll talk a bit more about that in a couple of moments' time. Also, a departure. Emmy Martinez um, has gone to Aston Villa for... £20 million, pounds, which is a lot of money for a second-choice goalkeeper, particularly a second-choice goalkeeper who has only really uh, made his, like. I'm not going to say his breakthrough, because he made his debut in 2012, but um, I think he surprised some people when he came into the team uh, to deputise for Bernd Leno, uh, the quality and the assurance of his performances um, led to, I guess, debate, good debate about who should be number one. And the the decision was made. And as such, Emmy decided that he, he really wanted to go and be a number one somewhere else. And uh, that, of course, is something that we are going to talk about uh, in a bit more detail now in a moment uh, with our guests. But before we do that, just a quick chat uh, to get some information on a couple of things. First is the goalkeeper that we're being linked with. Uh, he plays for Dijon. His name is Rune our Alex Runerson. He's an Icelandic goalkeeper. Uh, so we'll get a, a little bit of information about him and also a, a quick chat about a transfer deal that we're hoping will happen, of course, which is Houssem Awa uh, from uh, Lyon. And uh, who better to talk about all that with than uh, the man in France? It's Matt Spiro. Hi, Matt.
2: Hi, Andrew. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right, thank you. Tell me a little bit about this guy in terms of what he has done at Dijon.
2: Well, he he joined Dijon so a couple of years ago now. He's had he's been there for for two full seasons. He arrived with, I'd say, a good a good reputation as a sort of young goalkeeper who'd um, played international football with Iceland. Um, and he had so in his first season, which would have been twenty eighteen nineteen, he was the first choice goalkeeper. He played for a Dijon side that was dreadful at the back. And, and he struggled, to be honest. He, he didn't quite manage to, um, to, to impose himself. Um, he, he's a good, you know, he's, 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 a good shot stopper from what I've seen of him. Um, he's a goalkeeper who perhaps doesn't have, I would say, the presence of a, of an Emmy Martinez. And certainly if we're looking at Runason as a, a number two to replace Martinez, we're taking quite a big step down. Um because Runason, like I say, struggled in that season at Dijon, didn't manage to hold down his his place for the second season. Alfred Gomez um came in who is um a much bigger, um more commanding goalkeeper and has and, and has kept Runarsson out. So I mean I saw in, in March Runarsson saying that he was keen to leave because he didn't want to be number two which makes which mm. makes this transfer slightly more puzzling as well because clearly he's not going to Arsenal to be to be number 1. So listen, he, you know, he's still a young enough goalkeeper to perhaps develop into a top goalkeeper, but uh, the evidence that I've seen so far isn't isn't that promising to be honest.
1: Okay, so you say he's a good shot stopper. When you say he's not quite commanding a um, uh, presence, as Amy Martinez, who of course is you know big and huge and, and very commanding, and has done very well for Arsenal. I mean, is that are we sort of harking back to? Uh, I don't want to draw a compare, but someone Ospina. like Mal- Ospina, Almunia, perhaps, who was you know very yeah. much a goalkeeper who played off his line rather than somebody who came out to to deal with things in in his own area, certainly aerially.
2: Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that. Yeah, I was thinking of Spina. I mean, he's he's a goalkeeper who's more in the modern kind of category far as I think he reads the game well. I think he's good with his feet. Um, but he's more, yeah, I'd, I'd say a better goalkeeper on his line. Um, that's certainly the memory I have of, of the season he played, that he wasn't necessarily coming out and commanding um, the penalty area, as I think Dijon needed needed him to. Um, mm. And that may be, uh, you know... The, the the reason why they went and got this uh, giant goalkeeper Alfred Gomez who I think six four or um, six five is 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 considerably smaller than that I think six foot six foot one um, but uh, but but like I say you know he has qualities and maybe Arsenal have uh, <laughs> you know have seen potential that that I didn't necessarily see, see in 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 Ligue
1: 1 okay well I mean he's he's going to hook up again with uh, Inyaki. Kenya Pavon, who was his goalkeeping coach at a club that he was in, uh, in Denmark? No, is it? N-
2: yeah, he played in Denmark. In yeah.
1: Denmark. So it was Nordjylland. Nordjylland. Yeah. I, I really have fucked that up. So apologies to all of our Danish uh, listeners <laughs> for that. Um, you know, it's not It's not impossible for a goalkeeper to struggle at a particular club or for any player, indeed, to struggle at a particular club and then go somewhere else and... and um, have a better time, isn't it?
2: No, that's right. That's right. So, you know, Arsenal clearly have have, have done their homework. I mean, this guy hasn't played much at all in, in the last season. The Dijon first choice goalkeeper, Gomez actually got injured just before the lockdown. And everyone thought, oh, this will be interesting now because, uh, will get his chance. But I think he played only three or four games before the season was, was curtailed. Um, so he's not played a lot of football. Clearly, yeah clearly he's looking for for another challenge but um you know I'm 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 usually very ex- you know full of optimism about my my, my league on recruits but I can't sort of bring that optimism to you over over Runnerson. and I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be hopeless or a waste of time but I can't I can't say this guy is going to be the you know the future sure. of Arsenal you know, goalkeeping.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if Leno is the established first choice, which I think is clear, um, you know, when Arsenal are, are looking to do things in the transfer market, it, it wouldn't have made a great deal of sense to bring in 20 million pounds that you weren't necessarily expecting for Emi Martinez and then spend a significant chunk of that on another goalkeeper, you know, when there are other positions to be yeah. to be filled or, or, or strengthened. So I suppose in that sense... Um, you know, it makes some kind of logical uh, sense, you know, from a financial point of view, at least.
2: Yeah. And look, he's he, he is an international goalkeeper. He's at, a, you know, an age where he should sort of 25 be developing in the next two or three years um, towards his peak. Um, and he'll get he'll get football, I assume, whether it's Europa League or FA Cup or or Carabao Cup so you know we're going to get a chance to see what he's made of and I I guess he's going to be uh, chomping at the bit, like I say, because he hasn't played much for the for the for the last year or so. So mm. we'll have to watch this space. I think
1: one of the one of the things that Arsenal might want to do with some of the money that they got for Emi Martinez is invest in a um, a new midfield player and somebody uh, from Liga who I imagine you are going to be a lot more positive about when you are talking about his potential and certainly his talent is is uh, Husem Awa, uh, um who plays with, with Leon and who is reportedly one of our big targets. Um, there were reports. Doing the rounds last night um, from Telefoot, I think it was that yeah. Leon were expecting an imminent €40 million Euro bid from uh, from Arsenal. I'm always quite curious as to how stories like that um, develop. Like, you know, who's told them that Arsenal are about to make a bid? Um, I don't quite know what that is. But, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on Arsenal's pursuit of him and um, just how advanced it might be?
2: yeah you i mean you're right he is definitely somebody I, I i can get much more excited about i I absolutely love who our um he's a guy i've been watching for the last three or four years because even though he's young he's been a a leon regular i think for four seasons now um and um listen when when the rumors started or the you know the first reports came out I think it was still when Lyon were playing in the champions league semi finals or, or or they'd just gone out and my first thought was wow but there's no way arsenal will be able to get sanchoa because man city or juventus or you know somebody one of the big guns who are playing in the champions league will come in for him and at the moment that hasn't happened um we know that this is a you know a very very difficult time for a lot of clubs financially and if that means that it's opening an opportunity for arsenal i think that would be absolutely fantastic i think you know he's he's he's, he's, he's a wonderful footballer the only thing i would say the only sort of caveat is that 3 years ago two or three years ago when, when Lyon beat Man City and Awar just ran the show, I thought, you know, this guy is going to be, you know, the next Xavi or Iniesta. He, he just looks wonderful. And he hasn't quite kicked on, you know, he hasn't quite made that step up yet. But perhaps he needs to leave Lyon, his hometown club, and leave Ligue 1 to do that. He definitely, definitely has has the ability, I think, to become, you know, one of the top sort of technical, creative midfield players in Europe. Um, so, listen, I you know, Arsenal are, are, are definitely... Um, trying to get him uh, I think a lot depends on whether you know a Champions League club comes in with uh, uh, you know a bigger bid or the same bid um, will Lyon accept 40 million you know they were talking about 60 million euros so you know it, it's going to be a question of whether other clubs come in and, where, and whether whether Lyon can can accept an Arsenal offer but there is some pressure from for you know from Lyon's point of view to sell because they've said you know we will sell two of yeah. Memphis Depay, Usamawa, and uh, uh, Moussa Dembele, and, and the, the bids aren't flooding in at the moment. Um, just, just very
1: finally, there was talk about Matteo Ganduzi and PSG. We know that Ganduzzi was offered to Leon as part of uh, a bid for Awa, um, and I think Juninho said. Something along the lines of well, no, he doesn't really fit our profile. Uh, perhaps based on on some of the off field uh, issues that he's had at Arsenal. Is there any sign of anything happening from a from a Liga point of view? Is there interest in Gendouzi? Um, Is it perhaps something that Leon might revisit? Uh, good
2: question. I don't think so. I don't think so because they seem to be pretty firm in you know in that stance that he's not a player that they that they really want, and I'm not sure that is the area they need to be strengthening even if they are going to be selling our they've got some terrific young midfielders and uh, it's more in attack I think that they're going to have to to get one or two players in um, for a French player when they leave when they leave to the Premier League it, it's very unusual you know unless they're 35 years of age like sort of you know a Koscielny type it's very unusual for them to come back to France unless they're going to, to, to Paris Saint-Germain so you know I think PSG would be the ideal solution, if you like, um, the, the 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 one possible return to France, I think, will come from PSG. But I'm, no, I might be wrong. Perhaps Lyon are just haggling, and 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 they are actually in, interested in Guendouzi. But that's not my understanding of the situation. So, you know, PSG are, are going to do deals in the coming weeks. They're trying to get some 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 bargains, and their midfield is a big problem. So, I you know, I would say that would be one to watch more than than Leon.
1: Okay. All right, we'll keep our eyes peeled. Um Matt, thanks a million. As always, great to talk to you.
2: Lovely, cheers Andrew.
1: Thank you, to Matt. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Spiro, at Matt Spiro. And if there's any more from France, and hopefully there will be uh, between now and the end of the transfer window, we might talk to him again uh, to chat about a potential new signing. Who knows? Time will tell. We'll also uh, have to wait and see how this uh, Icelandic goalkeeper guy works out for us. I mean, as I said to Matt, I think there is some logic in bringing in somebody who is I guess a definite number two uh, however you want to interpret that rather than spending money we need to spend elsewhere on a goalkeeper it just didn't really make that much sense particularly in the in the current market and we do have a couple of very young up-and-coming goalkeepers who who perhaps they don't want to impede too much um, by bringing in somebody who is uh, perhaps going to get in their way. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for the uh, for the real upside of this. I mean, does anybody really care who the number two goalkeeper is when he's sitting on the bench every week? Not really. The issue is, of course, if you need him... Um, so, look, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. He is somebody, of course, that the goalkeeping coach knows very well. So maybe if things haven't gone as well for him at Dijon as he might have liked or they might have liked, perhaps it was just the wrong environment for him. Perhaps it just wasn't meant to be there. And Arsenal is the club where where it'll all happen for him. He'll just sit on the bench for 38 Premier League games, play a couple of uh, cup games... And that'll be there. And everyone will be just fine. Just fine. You look tired. I take it the caffeine toothpaste and adrenaline face serum aren't working? Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a nectar mattress this year. And if the big guy brings you another unicorn finger puppet, don't worry. Because mattresses start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectorsleep.com today.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.
1: Right, now on the Arscast for a bit more discussion on Emmy Martinez, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Mikel Arteta, and what's going on at the club right now. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show the man from the East Lower, well, formerly of the East Lower. Nobody's of the East Lower these days, or the East Upper, or any Lower, or any Upper, because of what's going on. Anyway, Jim, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm
3: not too bad. How are you?
1: I'm okay, trucking along. You know, new season's begun, and here we are, just sailing on in towards the title, you know, top of the league. All we've got to do is hang on for another thirty seven games and we're we're champions. So I think it's looking good.
3: <laughs> yeah, there is a reason why they never you know back back in the days of print, they never used to put uh, you know print the um title That's uh, sorry the uh, the table until about six games in did they?
1: That's what right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. The first few weeks, for sure, they didn't they didn't do that. So um, we did get off to a good start. We might talk about that in a moment. But I want to talk to you just a little bit uh, about two the two big stories of the week. Anyway, first and foremost are Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and Emi Martinez. One is staying. One has gone. Um, I, I think the first thing to touch on is. You know both of them played a big, big part in the success that we had towards the end of the season when Leno got injured, we were all a bit afraid of what might happen or if we needed to go and buy a new goalkeeper if he was going to be out long term et cetera et etc but But Emmy came in he did really, really well he was a, a sure commanding presence in in goal and at the back, and he helped us towards the f a cup and so of course did Yang with the goals that he scored in the semi final and the final. And it was quite interesting this week. Um, I don't know if you... Did you watch the video of Aubameyang and uh, Ian Wright? I,
3: I, I did get dragged into it all uh, in the end, uh, thinking oh, I won't bother with any of this. And suddenly, yeah. you're hooked, aren't you?
1: Yeah. And it was really, I thought it was a really nice video. I thought it was, um, I don't know, when Aubameyang was talking about giving righty a statue and he was going, no, 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 no. I was going, no, we should. He definitely needs one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But, but he, he talked to um, the captain about the fans and the connection that he has with the fans. And, you know, since he arrived, he scored lots of goals Um, and Emmy Martinez, when he was saying goodbye, made a point of saying that, you know, he could feel the love from the fans, which is, you know, a nice thing to say, of course, and I'm sure it's very true, but it is a shame from a supporter's point of view and also from the point of view of the players that they've done these things. They've, they've made these contributions without, without feeling that love from the fans in person, on mass, if you know what I mean. I know it's a consequence of where we are, but it does. It does seem like a real shame for the fans and for the players.
3: It really does, and actually, I, I think the, um, I, I, I personally felt that that sort of lack, that thing. The FA Cup final was the thing where I really started mm. noticing it because um, that, oh, yeah, so much, so, such a big percentage of a cup final is about being there in the atmosphere, and of course, it wasn't. So, um, you yeah, know, that was difficult, and they, they all have had the same thing. Um, cuz obviously they probably do dip in online but you don't want to go too far online you know what people are like so um mm. i think they handled it they've handled it really well in the circumstances and uh i think um you know martinez you know is going with the love of the fans and uh but yeah he saying all the right things Yeah, you know, some players when they leave they say the wrong things and and their sort of legacy such as it is, gets tainted but um, if you do it right, it just goes to show that they 'll be well remembered forever.
1: It is sometimes difficult for a player who 's really popular to leave a club with without there being some kind of recriminations um you know because we we like the player, we like what they do, we want them to stay, and in this case, I think a big part of why Emmy left is because he wanted to play, he wanted to go somewhere. It wasn't specifically that he w- he absolutely wanted to leave Arsenal, he was desperate to leave, but what he wanted from his career and what he could get from Arsenal at this moment in time were slightly at odds because of, you know, the fact that Bernd Leno is, is viewed as the number one goalkeeper. And I think there is something nice about that in the world right now, and everything is a bit... Um, divisive and things you know there doesn't appear to be a lot of middle ground I think it's nice that there has been this kind of understanding um, about the the Emi Martinez situation we recognize that he's a good player and he's done really well for us and in an ideal world we'd want him to stay and I think he too might want to stay in an ideal world but there are circumstances financial and his own ambitions which have um, which have seen the deal go through and and good luck to him at Aston Villa but it is kind of nice a little reminder that there's you know, uh, transfers can be human too, in a way.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I think he deserved it, and and there was a difficult situation, not just for him, but for Lino as well, and, and you can't please them both. But it's and so you know, I think most people um, realise the situation and he needs to play at his age. But it's quite interesting, isn't it, how you the, someone like Martinez who's sort of gone from zero to hero. And I don't mean zero in a negative way, but yeah, you know, we didn't know much about him really at all suddenly kind of came on the scene and only played, what was it, 15 games or something um, and sort of almost elevated himself to sort of legendary status in such a short period of time. I can't think of many examples like that.
1: No. I mean, the, the other side of, uh, of it, of course, is uh, financial and, you know, I remember at the time when that incident happened in the, uh, in the Brighton game when Neil Mopé uh, made that little shove on Leno and we feared that he was going to be out for uh, longer than he was anyway, because you know the the initial thought was maybe he'd done his cruciate and everything else. And you know he was in some ways uh, the villain of the piece. Of course, he was the villain. He was the one who committed that needless foul. Fast forward a few months down the line, and that little shove has had massive effects on both Emmy Martinez. Um, and Arsenal. Uh, The the negative, of course, is that Leno was out and it it cost him a place in a a cup final. But, you know, um, that can happen to a player that they get an injury. But Martinez, when he came in, he really boosted his own profile. And um, I, I think probably the options that he had available to him were much better than the ones he would have had before. And mm-hmm. from an arsenal point of view, you, you have a player who might have been worth maybe three million four million five million pounds i think if you're if you 're really lucky to sell a, a a number two goalkeeper who really hasn 't played a great deal for you for that kind of money, I think you 're doing very well all of a sudden we 've got £20 million pounds for Emi Martinez. So, Neil Mopé, while I'm not going to put him on my Christmas card list, has done wonders for Arsenal's bank balance and also, you know, for the career prospects of Emmy of Martinez. So, mm. you know, every cloud, he is the... He's a little wanker silver lining, if you like.
3: He's <laughs> it's, it's also the perfect illustration that so much in football happens by small moments of chance, mm. really. Um, you know, people t- and then you either take your chance or you don't take your chance. Or something happens and you go out of favour or you lose okay. a yard of pace because of one little thing. You know, it's, it's a, there's a, a lot of hard work involved, don't get me wrong, and it's mostly hard work. But um, there's also an element of luck and it definitely was with him.
1: Well, yeah, certainly in terms of the circumstances, uh, Mm. you know, what he did when he came into the team, I don't think we can, we can put that down to look, but he he really did seem like a guy who was absolutely determined to take his chance, didn't he?
3: Mm. Oh, so totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And he really did, you know, he barely put a foot wrong. It was, um, it was an incredible sort of half season cameo from him. And, uh, and, you know, I really do wish him all the best. I really hope it it works out for him because um, in those, it got to the point with having played, what, only 15, 20 games for us, whatever it was, that we were talking about whether it was he or Lino that we should let go. And that just shows what an impact he made.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Aubameyang, the captain, he's staying. He signed a, a new contract, which isn't really a surprise. We sort of knew it was coming. Um, have you been at all surprised by the impact he has had since he arrived you know in the January of 2018 from Borussia Dortmund there were There were stories, and I think they did him a disservice really about his attitude and um, perhaps that he was a a difficult kind of a character. And I think, you know, in some ways that was perhaps down to the fact that his or he felt that his time at Dortmund was was coming to an end. But, you know, in terms of what he's produced on the pitch and the kind of character he has shown throughout his time at the club, we, we haven't seen anything um, to to back up the maybe the, some of the off field difficulties that the Dortmund might have had because of the circumstances.
3: No, and if anything, it's been the opposite. He's been the model pro and um, the kind of guy you build your team around. And actually, I think the thing as he said in his video about how you know he feels like at home and he feels a like family. It's, I mean, you you could argue on the one hand it's a little bit of um nice kind of marketing going there, but it really felt like it came from the heart and that he and that he really does feel like it's his place and. So, you know, we knew he was good uh, when, when he, he signed. And uh, we, well, I don't think any of us really knew uh, how good and how much of a good influence he'd be. So, um, it, you know, like you say, we all kind of knew it was coming. But um, we really, really needed it to happen. I know we're paying him a lot of money, but he, he scored such a big a huge number of our goals last year and without him I'd dread to think where we would have come
1: yeah um, yeah me too uh, what about some of the concerns that people might have about a player of 31 getting a big long-term deal you know people um, point to Mesut Ozil's- um, contract extension, uh, just a couple of weeks after Yang signed, or maybe it was a little bit um, shorter than that. You know, and and what happened in terms of Ozil's productivity after that? I know there were more than uh, you know the the bank balance or the the wage packet that he was getting, but it would give you certainly if you were a a club like Arsenal, it might give you pause for thought. In terms of making that kind of investment in a player of obama Yang's age and he's he was certainly older um, than Ozil when Ozil signed his deal um I mean was that something that ever really concerned you or was it a you know simply a case of well look this guy is so hugely important that uh, the financial output we'd have to make to replace him just doesn't tally up when you consider what even when you take into account what we're going to be paying him
3: that's it. I mean, I think ultimately to get somebody who's going to score you twenty five goals um, a season, you'd need to spend seventy, eighty million pounds oh. and and wages of you know, comparable to what he's probably earning now. And so I think it's a risk that they had to take. And it is I think there's always an element of risk, and and he might physically decline, he might get injured, all those kind of things. But I do think the Messerzall case it feels to me like a bit of an outlier it doesn't happen that often where things go sour so quickly after signing a new contract but um so i'm not too worried about it and i think also in in international you know in the football around the world now you've got options um like you know china and mls and so i think there are a, you know, there will still be some good options should should it end a little bit earlier than than the contract um but yeah you know messer Url is the case is, is the case that you wouldn't want to have repeated, but I don't think it will in this case.
1: What about his, his role as captain? Um, a sort of unlikely captain, and he was thrust into it a little bit because of what happened with with Granite Xhaka. Um, you know he, he isn't the archetypal. Chest thumping captain Xhaka, I, I would s- say, is probably what you might consider the more traditional leader, the more traditional captain, a sensible guy. You know, for the most part, experienced. You know, relishes that kind of leadership and responsibility. Um, even if it didn't last too long for him at Arsenal because of all the things that that went on at that time that we don't need to go on about. But you mm-hmm. know, there are people who talk about. You know, your captains who, who bellow and shout and organize and cajole and, and they're leaders of men. But there are others who literally uh, lead by example by what they do on the pitch. And, you know, I can't help but think about what he did towards the end of the season in the semifinal and the final when we needed somebody to demonstrate their, their quality um, and their, their capability on the pitch. He was the guy who stepped up
3: it was and i think i think the leading by example is is exactly the kind of you know the reason why he will, why, why he is captain and i also that kind of captain that you're talking about the kind of chest thumping uh, you know bossing around you know, i think those we, you know those kind of players have disappeared slightly anyway yeah. you know the kind of the tony adams of this world you don't get many of those um, for whatever reason um you know societal or whatever it might be but you don't get many of those now and i think um So he's he's just uh, showing leadership in the way that modern footballers tend to do it, which I think is great.
1: What what do you think the the impact is going to be on the squad um, because of his um, his new contract? I suppose it's a big boost for them as much as us as fans. Of course, it's a very positive thing for us. I think it's a very positive thing for the club and for Mikel Arteta, who was very clear about what he wanted. But, but uh, you know, the squad themselves, when they go into a new season, if there are doubts, if there are some worries uh, over a really, really important player, when his future is decided, I think it gives them a, a little shot of confidence too. Definitely,
3: you want to be. You want to be. Um, you want to know that the guy who's the absolute stardust in the team wants to stay, and comes out and says the same things he says. So uh, uh, it, it will be really, really helpful for, and also for the young guys. You know, yeah. look up to him. So um, uh, I think it's always good when you get a pair like that that signs on for a bit longer because he, you know, with without Urzel, who with, whatever you think of him, he was a kind of stardust player. Um, you know abamyang is the man he is the, he's the guy that everybody in world football knows so uh, it is a, a massive boost for for future uh, for signing future players and and also for for goals so um it's a big deal yeah it's a huge deal and mm. and and, you know, and uh, i just don't i don't think you can underestimate how important it is which is probably why they went to town on the whole announcement
1: yeah um one of the interesting things I suppose is that as fans we are looking for positives and we're at that stage of a season aren't we where you know it's just begun we've won the FA Cup we've signed a couple of players the first game went well so we're looking for all the positives and I think that's a nice place to be in you know we, we started maybe last season in a similar mindset looking for positives because of what felt like a good transfer window with Pepe coming in and everything else and you know it didn't turn out to be that so let's enjoy this while lasts. But um, one of the things that Yang talked about was a conversation that he had with Mikel Arteta about his own status where he, you know, I think the word was legacy and what what your legacy is going to be at the football club. And that's something that resonated with him. But he also talked about what Arteta's vision for the club was. He said something along the lines of he sold me on what the club, the future of the club, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you are a 31-year-old player, when you still, despite the fact that the the COVID situation has complicated the transfer market for for big clubs, and I think, you know, without COVID, it might have been more difficult for us to hang on to him because he would have had more options. But I do, um, from what uh, we've read, believe that there were offers for him, fairly significant offers that, that he's turned down. You know, when you want to win things, when you want to end your career with some trophies and titles and, and those things, um, it's a big, big consideration when you when you think about where the last contract in your career is going to be. So are you enthused or encouraged... Um, And I don't simply mean by, you know, the idea of more players coming in, because I I really do feel like you don't sign. If you're Aubameyang, you don't sign unless you get some kind of assurance from the club about what they want to do and how they want to build the team and improve the team. And I'm not saying they sat down and told them we're going to sign this player, this player, this player, and that player. Mm. But, you know, more broadly, the fact that Aubameyang feels like arsenal is the place to spend the last years or the last prime years of his career based on what he's heard from arteta based on you know what he's seen from arteta and you know whatever assurances or whatever information he might have about what we might do are you encouraged by that is that another level of things that we can be optimistic about
3: well, I think you know he—he's clearly encouraged by it. But let's—you know—he—we all are because I, I think it's—and I think you're saying well, maybe COVID was the, one of the things that helped him stay. I think the biggest thing is Arteta. I think that's the thing that's—that's um, that's really, really helped because it's been almost universally popular with the sort of uh, blip of the Europa League. It's been a really exciting time to see things start to take shape, and he will have sensed that more than anyone. So, um, like you say, he probably hasn't doesn't have to be promised. Uh, that we're going to sign X, Y, and Z, but he, I think he can sense the general direction and and, and the sort of sense of togetherness and uh, vision that Arteta clearly has. And so, you know, that would be really exciting. And I think the whole thing about legacy, I find it absolutely fascinating because it's really hard to measure legacy. And to say that I want to stay here to, you know, to, to, to be a legend and to, to create a legacy is, is quite an interesting take on it, I think, because normally it's... Um, people would just say, they kind of trot out, oh, I want to win titles. And, and maybe he's just being realistic, but I think mm. it's fascinating to think that actually what I really want to do here is, yes, I want success, but actually I want to be known, you know, I want to be known as X. And I think I just find that quite, uh, well, quite heartwarming, but also quite an interesting, from a sort of human perspective.
1: Where, where do you think that comes from exactly? Because it is, you know, like you say, it's easy, easy for them to say, I want to win things with this club and I can kiss the badge and tap the badge when I score a goal mm. and what have you. But I... I I guess you don't say something like that unless you genuinely feel it. So whatever... Kind of, I don't want don't want to use the word home or family or whatever it is. You know, they sound a little bit too cheesy. But at the same time, those are words that are thrown around, like Arsenal is your home or Arsenal are your family, things like that. It it does perhaps feel like he he really senses that or feels that in terms of the connection he has with the club, the fans, and I, I do think in a big way, winning something at the end of this season played a part.
3: Oh, no doubt. It would have really helped. And um, it's always nice to win something, even though we're without fans. But um, yeah, I think he, he's always loved playing here. There's obviously something about the club and about the fans and about London that he really, really loves. So um, that's a big part of it. And maybe there's an element of realism that, you know, to say... Let's win the league next year. So, um, let's let's be honest; it's unlikely. Mm. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but I do think it, it really, like you say, it's, I don't think he's faking it. I think he really means it, and and it, I think it's just lovely that that he feels that way, and that it's his that he feels so comfortable that that was in in the end quite a big factor in him uh, signing on. So, um, you know, I think that's great, and like you say, it, 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 for other players as well, they'll look at that and think that oh, can only be a positive thing. Mm. In terms of team sort of team building and and uh, and just the kind of feeling behind the scenes, it must be really really positive. It is positive one of, for everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean it's one of those weird things, you know, in football that you can measure uh, in any significant way. You know, things like belief and confidence and and trust in what's happening at a club and and where you can actually go and what wor- what you might be able to do under a particular manager. Um, but it does feel like. The Arsenal squad, the players that we have right now, the majority of them anyway, maybe there are one or two doubters or disbelievers or or something else, but they do seem to believe in Mikel Arteta and what he wants them to do and how he wants them to do it. And leading the team and leading those players to a trophy, adding to their medals, uh, regardless of how many they have or don't have, some of them it's their first time winning anything, um, it really does strengthen that in terms of, you know, what it might create and the kind of atmosphere and the kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, culture that he is and has said he wants to create at the club.
3: And he's done it in pretty quick order as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did, you know, when he, when he was announced Arteta, and, it, you know, and I felt the same when it was between… Well, when we when when the first time round when Emery got the job, I felt the same. I thought it was too soon for Arteta, and even now I thought, you know, I can't think of many examples apart from if you're managing Real Madrid or Barcelona where a, a complete rookie comes into a big club and succeeds. either aren't. It, it makes it that much harder. But um you know, you, he's only been here six months. He's already won a trophy, and, and the signs are all positive. I'm sure there'll be some bumps in the road. But um you know, to to have done all that during a pandemic, and um, you know, I know you've talked about this before as well, but on on the pod, but um makes it doubly doubly impressive really.
1: What about Arteta then and the, the recent change in his title from head coach to manager and this kind of restructuring of the restructure. So the post Vanger thing didn't work or it got us to a point where we needed to do something different. Um, you know, on this so-called modern structure with the um the three people that we had in charge with a head coach you know didn't really play out as well as as they might have liked um and we've sort of i don't mean to say gone backwards but we've fallen perhaps into something that is a little more comfortable in terms of english football where you have one guy who is the manager rather than the head coach um, and that's Arteta. I mean, uh, I, I think I said this to James on Monday is that, you know, he's, he's acted since he came in like a manager or somebody with the authority of a manager in terms of, you know, his focus wasn't just on what the team did. He said he wanted to get, uh, make everything better, everything at the club, mm-hmm. you know, from top to bottom and all the staff and everything else. So it's not really a surprise that it's happened. Um, but it does sort of give him a, a an, an official authority if you like because of that role
3: yeah and it feels like it brings him slightly closer to the ex- executive level which can only be a good thing it means that they trust him and he trusts them and um, so i think that's uh um you know a really positive thing um yeah he you know he wants to change the culture of the club and it's not just about buying and selling players or coaching players on, on there's a lot more to it than that so um I think it's well-deserved. It is just a name at the end of the day, but I, th- I think uh, it, you know, it wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been an awful lot of positives going on, not just the ones that we've seen, but the ones behind the scenes. So I think the club is still finding its way in terms of its post-Wenger structure. There'll probably be a few ups and downs to come, but um, which is no great surprise, but it does feel like it's slightly settling down a bit now uh, you know, in a good way.
1: A um, couple of quick ones just to finish. Um I asked this on the, the podcast last week, but just realistically, what would you envisage as a good season for Arsenal um, between now and, and May?
3: Um, I think in terms of league position, I I think just an improvement uh, would be really good and, you know, and a sense of direction, a positive direction. Um I don't mean seventh. I don't think that would be a film improvement, but I I think by saying that, and I think most people would say that have the same kind of caveat is that to, to, to get to top four is not impossible. I really don't think it is impossible, but I think it's still quite tough with the kind of, uh, with the, uh, teams out there and the spending that they've made um, and the level of the top two so I think that is the goal where if we fall slightly short but we give it a really good go um, you know. so if we came fifth or sixth but we really nearly did it I'd say that's incredibly positive and obviously a run in the cup but uh, I just think improving and going in the right direction and starting this kind of structure that we're already seeing um, in place that people are buying into and playing a bit of better football all these things combined would say oh, that's a positive season and I think maybe um but maybe top four is, uh, whilst it's the goal and it's achievable, it might be just a little bit beyond us this year.
1: Mm, and finally, you know, as a season ticket holder and as somebody who's been a season ticket holder for a long time, um, we all understand why fans aren't in stadiums anymore. And it might be a little bit later than we think before fans get back in there. Is it affecting, I don't want to say your relationship with the club or the team or anything like that, but but uh, has this sort of enforced absence change your perspective in any way or
3: i I think so i think it has a bit but i also think you know you could almost have a whole podcast on this i think as you get older it certainly has with me you i still love it and i love it tons but i don't i'm not quite so invested in it as i was in my mid-20s um i don't you know if we lose i don't kind of mope around for the weekend which i used to (laughs) um so i think you do get a little bit more detached from it and and things come into focus a bit more um, as you get older anyway but I've I find that you know for me half the fun if not more than half the fun is just the going and meeting my friends mm. um, and just the routine of it and the atmosphere and all that kind of thing which is not there at the moment so uh, I think that it does detract a bit from what's happening and um, I know you said you like to watch the football without the crowd noise but I can't to me it's like to me, it doesn't feel right at all and you know right. I know it's still fake with the, fake with the crowd noise but Without the crowd noise, it just doesn't feel like a, you know, it doesn't feel like a, you know, anything other than a training game. So it is, it is definitely takes a little bit of a leap. Of once you get into the game, you watch it, and it's still just as exciting, or nearly as exciting. But I, d- I definitely have uh, been a bit less into it um, as plus the fact the summer was short. You know, the season went on for ages, and then there was a short break, mm. and so it's kind of hard. Some of those routines have gone out the window, so I I definitely haven't been following it quite as much as I might otherwise have done. But I feel, I feel that's coming back now, and um, with now that it's actually started. Reinv- what about you? I mean, you're writing about it every day and doing podcasts twice a week. Do you have you found that at all?
4: I
1: think the difference for me is, of course, because I'm not there, and my routine isn't really around going to the game. You know, every second week or whatever it might be at the Emirates. Um, you know, when I get over for a game like you, it's it's brilliant because there's the social aspect to it. And that's certainly something I've missed. And, uh, you know, cup final and everything else was, was kind of a, a wrench in terms of the traditions that you might have and the things that you do, um, around that day and everything else. But I just, uh, from my point of view, the routine isn't that different. I still watch the games mm-hmm. and I still write the blog and do all the stuff and what have you, but I really do feel like it is missing something really fundamental Um, Mm. and I don't just mean Arsenal I mean you know fans in the stadiums up and down uh, uh, the Premier League and you know whatever other football you might watch and and for me that's why I can't do the crowd noise I just can't (laughs) I can't do it because I know it's it's too fake for me and there's a sort of there's a there's a delay in the noises and I know they're trying to do like somebody misses a shot and they're trying to do like a, Ooh, from the crowd, but it's just a little bit too late and it's not quite the right noise. And, you know, so that's for me to sort of ground it in reality, I have to do the, just the, just the stadium noise. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's but, interesting. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah some uh, d- different, completely uh, opposite sort of view on it, but uh, yeah, it's been something I've always had switched on.
1: I, I think I think it might just apply to Arsenal games, though. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think when I've been sort of half-watching football on, you know, the TV, you know, if you might be sitting there, there's a game on, you're doing something on your phone or your laptop or whatever it might be. I think if you know the crowd noise is on there, it's sort of like a comforting background noise, and it kind of tells you when you're supposed to look up and, and see what's going on. So maybe it's just an Arsenal thing. Maybe I just really like listening to Mikel Arteta shouting at players, <laughs> um, you know, from the sideline and telling them where to be and where, when to be there and how to do it. And you know, I think maybe that, you're just
3: missing the, uh, the missing the kind of tuts and the general sense of apathy that, that under the Emery era, you're just missing that kind of negative vibe. Def- that's what
1: it is, definitely definitely not missing that i can tell you that for sure all right well look jim we'll leave it there good to talk to you again um you too. and look, keep up the great work on the blog <coughs> <laughs> all right all right yeah 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 and we'll uh, we'll catch you soon all right cheers nice to speak That was the man from East Lower. You can follow him on Twitter at East Lower, at East Lower. And his blog is in need of an injection of new hashtag content. But sometimes he does stuff at EastLower.co.uk. And when he does, it's always worth reading. Right. That's just about that. At the time of recording, we don't really have any team news. There's nothing official anyway, even if there were some pictures of David Luiz back in training. So perhaps that makes you feel good. Perhaps it does not. That's a personal thing, but I, uh, I figure the more fit and healthy players we have available to us, the better. Um, at any point during the season, and that includes now. So we'll have to wait and see what Mikel Arteta is going to do with his team for the game against West Ham on Saturday. There is, if I uh, recall correctly, also a a midweek game next week, uh, Carabao Cup game against Leicester. Um, And after that, there's a, a trip to Anfield. So I suspect... We're going to see some of the fringe uh, young players playing in the Carabao Cup because we're not going to risk the best players before we go to Anfield, that's for sure. So I reckon we'll see a pretty strong team against West Ham. I think it'll be something very, very similar to the team we saw against Fulham both in terms of personnel and also system and uh, hopefully we can do something similar in terms of performance because there was uh, plenty of positives at Craven Cottage and hopefully the first home game of the season, we can replicate that in some way, or at least replicate the amount of points we take from the game, however we take them. Um, for those of you on Patreon, uh, there is a tactics podcast out. We're going to be doing this once a month at least, uh, myself and Lewis Ambrose, so uh, if you want to check that out, you can do that right now. It's on your Patreon feed. If you want to join the Patreon, you can. It's a five or a month. You get access to podcasts like that. All the casts are ad-free. There. are our YouTube live streams, Discord, chat, and more. Five or a month, patreon.com forward slash blog Right. Let's leave it there for this particular episode as ever. Thank you very much indeed for listening, for being here, for subscribing. As always, it's hugely appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the show. Wherever you are, take care, wash your hands, stay safe, stay well. Keep fingers crossed for the weekend that we can take those three points at the ridiculous time of eight o'clock or, you know, coming up to ten o'clock on Saturday night when the game is going to be over, and we can chat about it on Monday, of course, in the ArsCast Extra with James. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
4: Welcome back to Holy God FM. Normally at this time, I would be banging out the cracking tunes. Hits from the 80s you thought you'd forgotten, but the minute they come on you go, I remember that one now. I had the 12 inch with the extra long remix, three minutes of which was just drum beats because... That's what remixes were in the 80s. Today, though, with the world in the state that it's in, we've got to focus on what's important. And it's not the nine-minute Shep Pettibone version of Looking for Linda, but Hugh and Cry. We have to ask the Lord above to provide for us in this time of need. So please follow me in this prayer as we beseech the good Lord to give us what we want. Our party, who art in heaven, transfer heaven, of course, hallowed be thy agent. Thy image rights come, thy deal be done, in the Premier League, as it is in Lego. Give us this day our daily bread, the bread of transfer news that we scoff so lustily. And forgive us our tapping up, as we forgive those Who tap up against us and lead us not into temptation by way of brown envelopes filled with cash, but deliver us from evil. Jose Mourinho, of course. Amen. We're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, join me for a conversation with Christian Rapp's latest star, MC Deuteronomy.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself...